So close. Despite edging themselves into a narrow 16-14 lead with 20 minutes to play, Saturday saw Sale ultimately fall 2016 to Gloucester at King's home as the Sharks finished 2017 in an unfortunate losing fashion. Here to discuss that game and a lot more are my good friends Alex and James. And Alex, once again, you're sat beside me and I couldn't be happier. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Thanks to some training, I find myself in Leeds, so here we are. It's wonderful to be back. Uh, and as per unfortunately, James cannot cannot join us live, but he's here via via Skype after a couple of attempts. James, how are you doing? Yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, good to good to be here. Uh, so my name is Lewis, and uh, welcome back inside the Shark Tank. So, so Gloucester, where do, where do we want to start with this one? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, predominantly about my disappointment and how frustrated I'm that Sale were ultimately unable to pull out the win, but. Perhaps we should look on the, on the bright side and focus on the positives first. James, why don't you start us off with, with some of these positives about, uh, about why we should, uh, why should we be pleased that Sale uh, uh, at least got a bone, losing bonus point out of there in Counter at King's Home? Why am I not surprised that you've had to come me with, to me with the positives? <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've looked down at your little script there and, uh, and there's nothing written down in the positive column. Um, but now I think... Uh, course it's a disappointment to get that close but I think the continued positives are we are a difficult side to beat like we're not getting hammered this season we're picking up either losing bonus points or try bonus points in the games that we're losing most of the time um, I do think we're still losing too many close games um, but uh, Gloucester are in the top four this season um, and I think that you know if, if we had been playing Wasps or something and just got that result I think we'd be really really happy and, and we have to take into account that Gloucester are a different side this year so to go to King's home uh, to a sellout crowd as we said last week with a tanked up on cider crowd I think we've got to be quite happy with the point um, and I think setting out on these three games we sort of said to ourselves well you know if we, if we can get 10 points somehow we'll be in the mix for top six so even just a couple of weeks ago we were thinking oh it'd be so great if we just could nick a couple of wins and get back in the mix for top six well we're definitely in the mix for top six um, of course, we need to beat Harlequins, and if we beat Harlequins, then we uh, will get ten or eleven points out of these three games. So that's the upside. Alex, can you give us a quick summary of your thoughts on the game? Do you share James's sort of positive outlook, or a little bit again like me? Are you a little bit disappointed that we just so just weren't able to go that extra inch and, and, and you know eke out the, uh, the the four the four point victory? Yeah, it's disappointment again, I think, isn't it? But having had some time to reflect. I think it was actually quite a good result. It's nice to go away and see our defence uh, improved on our general away performances. You know, Gloucester on the 30th of Jan, in between Christmas and New Year, is a horrendously tough place to go. They've beaten Exeter and Sarries at home this season. So, you know, a losing bonus point away at Gloucester is no no shame. But um, what's frustrating, the frustration is not in the result. I think the result is a good result in the context of our season. I think it's that we could and probably should have won the game. I think I think that's fair. And I think that's, uh, without, again, without being a Debbie Down, I think that's where I stand on it. It was not the fact that Sale came away with, with a losing bonus point, which I agree with both of you. It was a very, very good result uh, in the context of Sale, Gloucester, and the Premiership season as a whole. I think my frustration is that Sale could have won this game. They, they were so good for, for 60 minutes. And it was just, uh, as I said to Alex before we came on the air, it's very frustrating that Sale were ultimately beaten by two penalties from the boot of uh, Billy Twelve Trees, of, uh, of all people. Um, but before we get on to a little bit more in-depth analysis about the game, we ask you guys, as we do every week, apart from last week because we uh, recorded early, your three-word reviews of Sale's loss to, 20, uh, to Gloucester 2016 down at King's Home. We had a lot of good replies, as we always do, so thank you very much for sending them in. Uh, Sharks1861, heading right direction. Uh, Martin Whiteley, AJ Show. A little bit more on it, McGinty later, as, <laughs> as per. Uh, hashtag Rugby Sell Sharks, nearly did it. Uh, Mark Cole, close but predictable. Gavin Allwright, defence was massive. Joe Cliff, frustratingly close, comma again. Uh, and Graham Douglas, basic errors, also again. Uh, James... I want to say on the positives because I think we all agree that this wasn't necessarily a bad result. Were there any particular players or perhaps moments that, that stuck out to you, uh, you know, from, from the sort of sale performance as a whole? Because I've, I've got one. I'm interested to see if you or Alex actually hit on him um, before, uh, before it comes to me. Well, I think McGinty just continues to, to play brilliantly, actually. Um, he's, he's clearly got himself fit. 
Um, he's, I think for half of last season, I just got the impression he was carrying his, his knee. Um, but he's striking the ball really well. We're noticing him kicking to touch uh, a lot further, especially off free kicks and penalties. So I do wonder whether there's definitely a fitness thing. Certainly his confidence is up. And at the moment, you kind of worry for the side if he's not fit. Because he, he just by having him in there, it gives us a structure. And we're definitely playing to a game plan. Um, and uh, he's definitely running the show. So I, I don't know about moment. I think there was there was, mo- there was, there was a couple of moments. Pete, I know you will want to talk about that potential deliberate knock-on. Uh, but just in terms of player, I think McGinty was, was the star man. Uh, surprisingly, McGinty wasn't the one I was thinking of. So I'm going to go to Alex and see if he uh, see who who he else thinks is uh, worthy of note. I thought first half, Rohan was absolutely immense. I've stolen it. Haven't I? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. You have, yeah. Um, yeah, he was just he he looked unstoppable and he looked a class above everyone else on the field. I think so. That was it. Was really it was one of the best his, his best performance in the sales shirt was that first half alone. Um, his second half was slightly less um, of an impact and the whole team in the second half started to make some pretty basic errors which led to Gloucester having a load of possession um, and us just giving it away and you know the one that sticks in my mind is uh, um, Van Rensburg throwing a forward pass when we were off first phase ball it's just frustrating Um, but don't let that take away from him absolutely ruining Gloucester in the first half. And their centre partnership just couldn't handle him. Uh, I think it's Simmons who's quite a big you know, ball carrier in that centre, just got ran over quite a few times. So that was absolutely awesome. And I think it probably, if we were talking about Dimes saying last week about Van Rensburg proving his worth and getting getting in, you know, a longer term deal, if that's what works for both parties, then um, whatever it was, was it Saturday? We'll... You know, go a long way to making that happen. I think that that's a really interesting point actually about about sort of proving his worth. And I think what I've noticed with the way and and James mentioned it before about sale playing to a game plan. What I've noticed is that having a game changer, difference maker, match winner, whatever you want to call it, at twelve is actually proving more valuable for sale at the moment than having their other match winner, game changer, etc. At fifteen and O'Connor, because you look at the impacts those two have had since the. Starting fifteen as it is is sort of settled. Yeah, started. Yeah, settled. That 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 does that's, that's exactly it. You've seen Van Rensburg have a bigger impact on the games than O'Connor because Sale's game plan, which we're now capable of running because we've got McGinty back, is just uh, it just runs through Van Rensburg as well. Because, like you said, Alex, first half he was basically unplayable because Sale was able to get him the ball in the channel and he and just and just yeah. throw throw him down it and. You saw again is his ability to offload and bring other players in. And this is where, I mean, we've spoken about this before, James, but Ben Curry and his ability as, as a passer and as a playmaker, the, the amount of times I saw Van Rensburg hit the line with Tom Curry, uh, sorry, not Tom Curry, Ben Curry on his shoulder, who was then looking to link somebody else into the game, mm. is, is massive for, for what Sale are hoping to achieve and where they're strengthening the team like. Because if you can throw Van Rensburg down the channel, get the ball off to, to, to one of our back row who are very good at offloading, you can then bring in O'Connor, Solomon, maybe McGinty uh, on the uh, on the sort of run around, and, you know, and then really start to exploit uh, defences uh, and take advantage uh, and you know score points and score tries. Yeah, and uh, I would like to also point out that, you know, I think we've we've bemoaned the fact that we haven't used our 12 down the channel enough earlier in the season. Um, and we know, actually, that we, we are getting enough from football now. And we should have been, earlier in the season, selling Jennings much further. Because when we did, he was also creating all sorts of problems for teams. So when we started picking O'Connor at 10, I think that was the source of the issue. Because his first thought is not to get the ball quickly into someone else's hands, is it? <laughs> His first thought is, can I score the best individual try of the season? <laughs> um, not, you know, can I let someone else do that? And I think that makes quite a big difference. And we're, we're getting those players, we're getting the ball into Van Rensburg's hands. Um, and I don't think we should stop when, it, you know, when he does go back to the Lions. I think we should play exactly the same with, with Mark Jennings down in 12 um, and when Leota comes back from injury. On him coming back next year, Van Rensburg, I just hope that, you know, he, he sort of did an interview before the before the, the start of the game and he was sort of gushing about how amazing, you know, King's home is supposed to be and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and we know he's been linked to Gloucester. So I wonder whether that performance, you know, and the full crowd there and, and all the rest of it and the fact that Gloucester have won are now two wins above us and sitting in the top four makes them favourites to sign him. Mm-hmm. 
here's, here's a question for the two of you, and I'll come to Alex first. I think we're all firmly on the let's keep Van Rensburg if we can. And, you know, we've heard a few things off the field that, you know, Sellers is very interested, you know, unsurprisingly, and, and, and you know, want to, want to keep him around potentially on a three-year deal. Um, in theory, knowing that there is potential interest from Gloucester as well, how much is too much for Van Rensburg? Because I think if money was no object, which in theory it might not be for sale at the moment, we, we would all keep him. But if it becomes a bit of a bidding war between Sale and Gloucester, does keeping Van Rensburg at any cost actually undermine the other holes that Sale still have in the squad? And is there a price after which you wouldn't you wouldn't fork out for Van Rensburg? You know, we, we know Sale have a bit of cap room, but we know Sale aren't planning on spending fully to the cap uh, for, for three seasons yet. So Alex, I'll come to you first. You know, is there is there sort of a number or a figure in your head that you would feel comfortable offering Van Rensburg, knowing that you A have Gloucester interested in B? There are some more pressing issues in the team that, that potentially needs to be addressed, and we're going to come on to that in a little bit later as well. Uh, I would I would give relative to the rest of the team, and I would look at players like Faftiklerk, James O'Connor, and you just got to structure the um, the squad in the right way, such that you don't create resentment. You don't want to offer Van Rensburg incredible money and then risk upsetting the likes of Yard, O'Connor, De Klerk, who were Jennings. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I think they're maybe on a different <laughs> salary structure. I can only assume, um, but I would I would like to see us keep him, and I think we've got the power to do so. But you don't want someone at the club who doesn't want to be at the club. So if he, you know, if he's I like both clubs, and I'll you know go with the one that's best for me. That's fine. If he says I really want to be at Gloucester, and we say, but we'll give you, you know, two hundred grand extra. Do you want to come here? And he says, yeah, I don't think. That's conducive to a good squad, but I also don't think Steve Diamond will do that. I think he's a he's a savvy enough man to know his limits, and we'll we'll get Van Rensburg if it works for both parties. But if it doesn't work for either party, then it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I absolutely trust Dimes on this actually, because I think it depends what other options there are in the in the market. We were linked to Kurajani not that long ago. He's got the caps to qualify for Australia at the next World Cup. I think, you know, we're talking about Gloucester versus Sale, but I still think this close to the World Cup is still going to be a massive call for Van Rensburg, who before his injury was getting Springbok caps um, to walk away from the Lions. You know, he could play there for one more season and go to the World Cup. So, uh, you know, unless he is offering being silly money, I mean, if I was him, I'd stay at the Lions for one more season and then come, come stay, you know, and then go, go, to a, go to a club after the World Cup in 2019. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what he does. Uh, De Klerk made the decision to leave it all behind. Um, it's all very sad for for South African rugby, but you know if we benefit, then then there is an upside to it. So I, I trust Dimes to make the right decision. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, two points that I want to pick up on. Um, yeah, first, first on South Africa. You know, we, we forget, but you know Van Rensburg is only twenty three, and, and we're talking about him throwing away a potentially decade long Springbok career. Um, you know, to sort of. Not chase the money in England, um, because in theory, you know, he's, he's not really chasing the money. You know, there's, there's no pull apart from the Springboks in South Africa anymore. And at the end of the day, you know, you've got to look out for you know, it's a, it's a, it's a short career. You know, you've got to look out for number one and uh, and your family. And, and you know, you wouldn't begrudge Van Rensburg for a moment. But it just shows what a sad state uh, that uh, South African domestic rugby is in, and the fact that they can't, they can barely keep some of the top talent around. Uh, even with the law of the spring box, uh, which is obviously what happened with De Klerk. And and on the other point, uh, I agree with both of you. I mean, we give Steve Diamond a lot of stick, but to be perfectly honest, in terms of like uh, cost awareness and and you know being you know spending your money wisely, uh, that is one area that I have hundred percent faith in in Steve Diamond because you know knowing what we know. Uh, you know, on on the field and off the field, there's a reason why Sale don't have Kyle Eastman playing at 12 at the moment, and it's because you know for the money, because of the injury history, Diamond declared he wasn't worth it, and and at the end of the day, that's that's perfectly reasonable, uh, and I think you know you look time and time again that Diamond has vindicated a lot of the decisions he makes about who he signs on on uh, long term expensive deals, and obviously uh, on short term sort of short uh, uh, lower money deals as well. Uh, James, let's go back to the game then. Let's go back on field uh, and talk a little bit about what sort of one did sail at the end. Um, for you, do you think this game is indicative of the problem sales still have in their in their squad and how it's made up? Because for me, 
the issue with Sale at the end was there was a, a noticeable lack of bench impact that Gloucester did have. And then particularly at the scrum where Gloucester really started to turn the screw in the second half, which resulted in the penalties leading to field position, leading to leading to the shots on goal, which ultimately down Sale. Do you think Saturday's game is sort of indicative of, of the way Sale still have to go? Or do you think another day, a couple of extra tries and it, it'd be a totally different game? Yeah, I think if we just scored at a couple of key moments, we, we I think we would have won that game. We might have gone and won it by a little bit more. Um, but uh, I do think there was a bench. There's a bench issue. I mean, if you look back to the the glory days of the Saint Andre era, he would often start. Uh, he'd often pick a bench to come on and win the game, especially away from home. Um, and even in big competitions like the, you know, what was the Heineken Cup? You know, I remember we went, we were at home actually for one game, and we had like Jason White and you know Charlie Hodgson on the bench, Wigglesworth playing five, all sorts of stuff. You know, you stay in the game, and then you bring on loads of international cavalry who just like completely destroy you with twenty minutes to go. And I don't, if, if anything, the game has gone more in that direction. Eddie Jones talks about finishes. Um, and uh, and actually, if anything, we play like quite an old-fashioned team. You know, people like Harrison playing for nearly eighty minutes—that's just incredibly unusual. And he's not the first person we've we've done it to. So I do think there was an element of that, but also I do think that the Gloucester bench was just stronger. You had, you had a look at that bench, and the, there was there was better players on it than we had on that, on ours. So we still have a we still have a, a depth issue. Alex, aside from the bench, then is there any other aspects of Sale's performance on Saturday that you think are worth highlighting as as a reason why Sale might have lost uh, lost the game at Kingshome? Yeah, just basic errors in the second half completely cost us a load of time. I mean, I, I haven't got the stats yet, but when I do, I can guarantee our second half possession will be woeful because every time we got the ball, we gave it away on first place, and then you know the bench is completely correct. I completely agree, but. We still had the chance to win that game. We had the ball five minutes out from their line with time up. And teams like... And it's one of those where when teams like Exeter have, and Saris have the ball five metres away, I've got almost no doubt that they're going to score. With Sale, I've got no doubt that they're going to mess it up. I've, you know, When we put teams under pressure, I always, always feel like it's not going to result in a try. And I do think if you look at our tries this season... How many of them come from extended pressure is actually probably not very many because a quite you know look at the Gloucester game every try was from past the twenty two past the halfway line look at even the Bath game last week um, just before Christmas all the tries came off sort of halfway to twenty two moves breaking open Bath great great rugby but when we put teams under pressure we really really struggled to finish that off and I think that is. That's what cost us the game. I think it's partially a breakdown issue because it gets so crowded five metres out from the line and we don't have the breakdown experience to um, to compete there. And you see it all over the field. It's just highlighted when we're in that position. Do you think it's more of a do you think it's more of a coaching thing then, this this inability to cope with the pressure of being five metres out and, and, and getting over the line? Or do you think it's it's a, a lack of grunt up front? Do you think it's a, a not a personality issue because I don't want to blame any individual players, but do you think it's how just lack that sort of Thomas Waldrum-esque player to just sort of push Sail over that sort of final hurdle. Yeah, it's the experience thing. I think the ideal sort of player you'd want to go back into Sale's history is someone like Jonathan Mills, who, you know, was just a canny operator in tight situations. Um, and we lack that experience. Our, our, our forwards are quite good loose players, but in the tight, we struggle a little bit. Um, you know, John O'Ross, Ben Curry... Josh Strauss, great in the loose, you know, not not big grunters up in the tight. We know about our secondary issues. I think Evans is a really good wide player, but just not not got the bulk for the tight. And then Ostrikov has the bulk, but lacks a little bit of control. I would say I'd the definitely main say issue. The control, yeah, the hands. With yeah, I mean, he bless him, he throws it. He throws the most outrageous offloads, but they just rarely come off yeah I'm always I'm always very concerned whenever I see Andre Ostrakov running with the ball in one hand because he does yeah. that an alarming amount for a, for a second row like you kind of you kind of give like these Fijian wingers a bit of a pass because there's that sort of how they did they train it's this sort of you know uh a freewheel and you know chuck it around sort of like style of play but uh maybe it is in Russia I don't know I don't know enough about Russian rugby but as soon as you see Andre Ostrakov about to get smashed by two Exeter second rows and he's got the ball in one hand sort of down by his uh, knees it's uh, it is a bit worrying yeah I think I think there's two things 
Firstly, is that our rolling mall, as we highlighted last week, is not the force that it was, and it is a big problem. And clearly, you know, it's an area that if, if Diamond felt that we could get the upper hand, then we'd be trying to get the upper hand. We clearly don't have the personnel to execute high-quality rolling malls. I think the one thing that we could try maybe a little bit more often, where I've seen Sale do it, is just sort of literally, you know, 15-man line-out, um, throw it in, and it's just literally just blood and guts, get it over the line. Um, that, that would have been interesting uh, but then secondly I think with the pick and goes and also with the one out runners we see Cam Neal doing that a lot uh, when he when he last in the last few seasons he was our main tight carrier close mm. to the rock doing the hard yards you know, often for like you know one metre gained or half metre gained and we do lack that that kind of person to, to, to do that and I, I just like to see Sale you know if one thing we, we they could manage to bring is if they brought the same amount of um uh, sort of one-to-one intensity that we're currently bringing to our defence, to our pick-and-goes. Because at the moment, defensively, including against Gloucester, we're not just organised well, we're winning each individual contact Mm. in the tackle. Which is, you know, to do that for 80 minutes, like a lot of our guys do, like Ross Harrison, is almost like superhuman, to be perfectly honest. He's he's winning contacts after 70 minutes, out in the loose, one-on-one tackling. If we could bring that to the carrying and win the contact in the carry... Then that could make a that could make a big difference. Yeah, and just on that, um, one of the one of the individual performances I think that's particularly worth highlighting was uh, was again John O'Ross, uh, who had a really good game defensively, um, and on a number of occasions, especially when Gloucester were uh, where we're beginning to sort of pressure sales try line. Uh, Ross, uh, in particular, was just immense, just throwing himself into these tackles, and a lot of the time as well, uh, finishing a tackle started by someone else. Will Griff John. Uh, did a lot of good grunt work in terms of just holding players up and waiting for for Ross or Ben Curry to sort of come in and smash them. So I agree completely, James. You know the the, the individual intensity in defences and the team intensity in defence is superb, but we just seem to lack that sort of same drive and same organisation uh, going forward. And you know to the point where I would be a lot more confident uh, that Cell would be able to win a game in the last minute if they had the ball twenty metres out rather than five metres yeah. out because in tight. Sell panic. We don't have the grunts. Just you know, the brute force to just get over. And I think it is that is something that definitely needs addressing. If they're going to be a top sixteen this year, yeah. And I think the the slightly problematic thing is you look at one of the key occasions this season, the Exeter game, mm. um, when you know TJ Uani goes off his feet at the rook, and the reaction from the club isn't we can't perform under pressure. It's the ref got that wrong, and it's I hope it's not a sort of refusal on the coaching side to accept that that is poor because I thought to be honest when you re-watch that TJ Ioana clip from Exeter he goes miles off his feet regardless of what got called in the game and that is just pressure getting to people and it needs it needs looking at in some way whether that's personnel or coaching yeah just the last thing on on uh, the Sale Gloucester game before we move on uh, with the result Sale uh, Sale at eighth uh, on 29 points uh, we're after 12 games. Uh, we're going to talk about Harlequins uh, in a little bit, but it is worth pointing out the Harlequins are 7th on 30 points, Bath are 6th on 32, Newcastle 5th on 32, and Gloucester now 4th on 37. So there's a little bit of wiggle room starting to emerge between the top uh, between the top 4 and uh, the 5th and 6th place teams, but still right there in that top 6. Uh, mix as we'll uh, as we'll discuss in a moment, but we're talking about a lack of grunt up front. Let's change the conversation to something that was reported in uh, the rugby paper on Sunday. A potential solution to sales lack of grunt up front. We're uh, we're back on the Franco Mostert rumours. Uh, James, can you uh, can you tell us anything that can you tell us what we need to know about this potential new uh, new Springbok joining the squad? Well, I think I did that. I did the same in a podcast probably about sort of three months ago. <laughs> I think we've been chasing him since the since the summer and. Certainly, uh, you know, that's what we're hearing. He's definitely still still in the mix. I think that it would be a great signing for Sale, um, even though it constantly saddens me to see like, the constant moves of, of South Africans away from South Africa. I mean, it really isn't good for rugby. And, and it, you know, we're club fans, but as international fans, it is a real worry. But he, he would be a good fit, I think. I think he's, he's big, he's strong. He was first choice for South Africa before he decided to go to Japan. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can commit to us long term 
because um, I think that that would be well one question. You know, he has walked away from a Springbok career. He's in his mid twenties, so he's he's coming towards his peak. He's not quite there yet, just like a lot of our team. Um, you know, he's obviously being South African. He's going to have close links with uh, uh, with De Klerk as well and Van Rensburg. So I think he would be a good fit for our squad. He's bigger, he's chunkier, um, and uh, would do plenty of ball carrying. So if you're looking ahead, to sort of Bryn Evans's retirement then you know you're looking more really at George Knott and Josh Beaumont that you want to be stepping into his space out uh, in the wide channels high skill sets calling the line outs you know easy easy lifter you know, easy jumper to lift Franco Mostar will be more in the Andre Ostrakov kind of area you know he, he is a jump option but not a regular jump option um, but he's going to put plenty of weight in behind the scrum and carry around the field yeah, quick, uh, quick fat file on Franco Moster for those of you who aren't as uh, up to date with Springbok rugby as James is. Uh, six foot six, seventeen stone nine. Uh, he's uh, twenty seven and has uh, eighteen Springbok caps. And like James says, was a regular with the South African national team uh, over the sort of last eighteen months or so. Interesting as well. He's uh, technically he is still contracted to the Lions in uh, uh, of Johannesburg. He's playing with the Rico Black Rams in Japan. At the moment, doing a, a, taking a career path that a lot of South Africans do at the moment, and playing in the Japanese top league, I think it is uh, during the uh, during the super, super rugby off season. Very interesting, apparently, that the uh, Japanese top league. Uh, I was reading an interview. I think it was with Warren Whiteley, the Springbok number eight. So this is a bit of a tangent, but he was saying basically they, they go and play about sort of four or five games, and the intensity is actually nowhere near uh, what it is. So. Uh, in Super Rugby or even in the Premiership or the Top 14 so just really interesting that that seems to be like a really easy way to stay fit uh, and um, you know make a lot of money so it, <laughs> cash, yeah. yeah so it's interesting that obviously Van Rensburg chose to come to the UK rather than uh, rather than um, go to Japan on again on that sort of short term three month contract but again another link uh, to sail through the clerk another link uh, for Van Rensburg but unfortunately also linked to Gloucester and the Ackermans um, Alex, yeah, so same same question to you then. So, do you think? I mean, I know it's easy to say anyone we link with, we know they'd, they'd be a good signing. But do you, does Master fit the role uh, that, or should I say, the void that sailors sort of have in their in their second row? Or do you think you know there are still still you know greater needs to be filled? <clears throat> loose head. <laughs> um, loose head needs a signing, but I think second row is is if we want to compete at the top of the table. Um, and I'm, you know, top six, not top four necessarily. But um, we do need a better second row starting combination than Evans and Ostrikov. I don't think Ostrikov is um, the type of player to lead us to a top six finish. Um, I think it's quite interesting that we're sort of following the Saracens model of get a load of South Africans in, make yourself hard to beat, great defence, and we are virtually, you know, it's a very, it's an interesting sort of parallel. That we are following Saracens, we've got, you know, we've got tough in defence. We've got loads of South Africans in. We've got that sort of beat them, you know, in your one-on-one confrontation mentality, and we've got that commitment to bringing, you know, young players through from a solid academy. So, you know, if we can do what Saracens did, then I'll be very happy. But um, I, it makes sense from a sort of. Um, South African point of view, the links he's got with Faf. Um, and I think it would be the kind of signing we need. And we've got the salary cap to do it. So, you know, don't let it halt, halt your search for a loose head. But if it's, you know, we've, we're a big enough club to operate on two fronts in the transfer market. So let's go and find a loose head. But if we can sign him, then God, yes. I think it's amazing that since we started the podcast, Alex has likened Sale Sharks to both the All Blacks and now Saracens, arguably the best international, best club rugby teams in the world. Uh, not apparently, anymore, unfortunately. apparently, we're not. Uh, apparently, we're not that far off. But no, I, I, I agree completely. And anytime you can have someone who's already got twenty caps for the Springboks, uh, you know, has that tier one international experience and now and potentially acts as you know another lightning rod, you know, for for other players, you know. It, again, we know we, we mentioned the talent drain in South Africa, and it is a, it is a crying shame. But at the end of the day, if if, if getting De Klerk and Mostert means you know in in eighteen months' time we can bring Van Rensburg back, well, you know I think it's you know as club rugby fans, it is it is a trade off you make. Um, one of the we've we've heard a couple of names in the rumor mill. Um, still no loose heads, which is you know very disconcerting. But we have heard a couple of other names in the rumor mill in the last couple of weeks, sort of uh, you know off off, off the field. Um, 
I don't know whether or not we should mention the, the sort of two elephants in the room because we don't want to get people's um, sort of uh, hopes up too much. But we have heard sort of Tommy Taylor, Danny Cipriani. There is potentially uh, a link there. Uh, Taylor in particular seems, um, we, so we've been told, it seems more uh, more likely to, to potentially move back. You know, this is all unfounded. You know, we don't know the, the Taylor family or anything like that. So please don't hold us to this. But that is that is a, a name or two that we have heard. But James, there was one that I know that you sort of knew a little bit more about. And, it, and I will be perfectly honest with you. I had never heard of him. It, Joe Jones, the yeah. tight head at Perpignan. Can you tell us a little bit more about him? Because that is a name that... Came completely out of the blue. Uh, oh, there you go. We used to play for Cardiff. Came, came completely out of the blue uh, uh, last week. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit more about him and why he's been linked with uh, with Sale? Yeah, I mean, I have come across his name before. He has been in the Sale Academy, um, as far as I'm aware. I think he he played, sort of grew up and played his age group, uh, group rugby and mould. And, and for those listeners who you know, uh, started playing rugby for clubs in the northwest. Will probably have done a trip to Mould at some point um, as a as a junior or a mini. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there is in this field of uh, you know field of influence of sale sharks. You know, similar to Effian Roberts, I suppose. Um, and he he was in the academy, but only for a short while. He was selected for the Wales under twenty side. And went back to Wales, which seems a very sensible uh, decision to, to, to make. Obviously, if you're going to go and play for a regional side, uh, then you've got to be in the, in the south of Wales. So he went to Cardiff. He made a few appearances for the Blues, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, mostly, though, he was playing his trade in the Welsh Premiership for, for Cardiff RFC um, and was released by Cardiff. Don't know why. Don't know enough about it. All I know is is that um, I saw um, his name pop up at Perpignan, um, playing not not regularly, probably set, you know off the bench, sort of second choice tight head uh, for Perpignan in the Pro De. So let's let's remember that Perpignan have been a great rugby side um, in Europe, um, but haven't been able to compete with all the money that's come into the French game, um, and basically have been on a constant slide for the past six or seven years and now find themselves in the upper echelons of the Pro Deux, which we know is a tough league, especially for props. Don't forget the Pro Deux is completely 100% professional. It's not like the championship here. It's far more competitive. Lots of money in the Pro Deux as well. Lots of big names finishing their careers there. Um, so, you know, we've signed recently um, Taras, yeah, from Pro Deux. So, look, he's done that. I don't know what, what the situation is with him now, why his name's been floated around, but if he comes back to sale and we get some uh, academy credits uh, as well, and we know that Taras and, uh, is, is premiership quality, we know that Wilgriff John is 24 or 25 and literally getting better every single game, you know, considering he's been here three months. You know, let's consider where he might be in three years. It makes me think we just need a third choice tight end, um, and he could fit fit that bill very nicely. So, just for those of you who don't know, Joe Jones is, is still only twenty two. So the fact that he's turned up, as James likes to say, in the pro de, uh, is, uh, is 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 quite an interesting sort of career path. But I suppose you know you know Will Griff John, who's obviously now a shark, uh, went and played for. Uh, uh, I think it was Auckland, wasn't it, in uh, in the ITM Cup after after leaving Wales. So you know there, there are some interesting career paths out there. Do you want to tell us why you got us in trouble with Halani Alika as well? <laughs> I think Halani's well, fine. I, I made the observation that I think he's out of contract at the end of this year. I still reckon that's probably the case. I'm pretty sure that is um, true. Yeah, and the fact that he's turning 35 in August. Um, you know, we, we've seen with uh, Felice at, uh, at the Blues that props can, especially from the Pacific Islands, can go on into their forties. So I apologise to Mrs. Olika um, uh, that uh, Halani is obviously really at the early stages of his career and has got a brilliant future ahead of him. Yeah, sorry, we, we, we should should explain for those of you who didn't see that James did mention this on Twitter, uh, only to receive a, a reply from. I, th- I think it's like they, they have uh, Halani and his, his wife have like a joint account. Um, on Twitter, like a family account sort of thing, um, and we we received a tweet. Um, that was from that was from Mel, though. 
The, oh right, right, okay. Right, you're right, not thinking of Sammy Tuitupo, who's got an account with his wife. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I am. Yeah, sorry. It's uh, it, I only stumbled ac- uh, across this uh, very, very randomly. I was like, why, why are we getting you know uh, yelled at by the wives of uh, wives of uh, current sale players? Um, but yeah, basically, um, James received. Uh, I think it's fair to say scathing response. Just to <laughs> sort of say that uh, uh, whilst Harney's contract might not be up, uh, might be up, um, he's definitely not retiring. So I mean, it's, it's, that's good news because it's great news for rugby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alika, Alika remains one of the most entertaining players, um, you know, to sort of watch. Especially, especially, you know, when there's 40 metres between him and the trial. And I will never forget the try he scored for London Irish against Sale, uh, where he absolutely skinned Charlie Ainsbury playing at 15. Uh, he picks the ball up from on the halfway line, somehow manages to outgas our entire back line, and then uh, absolutely does Charlie Ainsbury with a fantastic dummy. If you haven't seen it, look it up. Just go on YouTube and type in Alan Ilika try versus sale, because it is incredible. one of my favourite tries I think I've ever seen. Is that the uh, recently retired Charlie Ainsbury who's <laughs> just played his last game of rugby for yeah. Cambridge University? Yes. So, uh, yes, yeah. But uh, but yeah no so obviously it sounds like Alika might be out of contract at the end of the season which was potentially why Joe Jones could be joining Sale in that sort of um, sort of tertiary uh, prop role but uh, by the sounds of it Alika is definitely not retiring anytime soon uh, which is obviously great to hear right before uh, before James can insult anyone else do we want to move on to uh, Sale's next game Saturday afternoon three o'clock back home at Fortress AJ Bar do they still call it that I don't, I don't know <laughs> uh, Sale play host to Quinns who are, as we've just said are seventh. Uh, sorry, who was? Uh, yeah, no, they are seventh, uh, just above sale in the table. And James, as always, has done his diligent research uh, on the opposition and is now going to tell you what to expect uh, from Marlon Yard's old team. Well, um, Quinns, they, they had an absolute storming win at, uh, at Twickenham at the weekend. I think the Saints are clearly in quite a lot of trouble um, and really just didn't turn up at all. So that's got to be taken into account. But what bothers me is that clearly Quinns are now going to be coming with a, a bounce in their step. I think if they'd lost at the weekend, then they actually would have gone down to like 10th in the table. And then people might have been talking about Kingston's job. As it stands, they sit above us in, in, in the Premiership. They still probably have more bigger names. They play enterprising rugby, which I hope plays into our hands. If you have, But if you look at the general form, they've only won two out of the last seven games. One of those was the one-point victory versus Saracens. Which was the most one of the most amazing comebacks that um, I've I've seen. Um, I think we discussed it, didn't we, on a previous pod? Um, but yeah, I mean they've smashed Saints, but you know generally their form has been p- pretty pretty average. Um, I'll start off mentioning a few players, and then I'll bring you guys in into who you're looking forward to to seeing, uh, or any head to heads perhaps that you're looking to see at the weekend. So first player I want to pull up is their hooker, Elia Elia. Um, he was brought over on a short-term deal because they've had lots of trouble with injuries in that hooker position. Um, you know, I think Joe Gray is constantly injured. Uh, Wards has been has been mainly fit, but seems to be seen mainly as a as, a, as an open side. Brooker left, uh, you know, some some time ago, and Buchanan's been really injured quite a lot. He's probably their first choice. But this Aliyah Lear has come in. He's been taking on a longer-term deal, and he's he's playing absolutely out of skin. And as part of a front row with Marler and Sinclair. I do think that, or even if Collier plays at tight head, I think that is a really sort of high quality front row that's really going to test us in the in the set piece, especially if the likes of Horwell is is pushing from the the second row. Um, in the back row, I just want to mention a couple of players. They've signed Bothmer, who is a Namibian monster. Basically, he plays at six or eight, um, and I think if they're looking, if you if you're looking for players who can. You know, pick up the ball and, and carry it in the tight. Then you know he's he's your man. Very attritional. So Ross is going to have to turn up again and put in another great performance. Um, and Lua Manu, um, who's been around the the, the Quins uh, team for for some time, he seems to be playing at eight at the moment. And we know he's a big ball carrier. So you know we need to keep winning to win the first up collision against him. Is going to take one hell of a tackle. So we're going to have to bring that intensity to things. Um, have you guys got any head-to-head in the forward pack that you, you're, you're looking forward to? Um, Sinclair versus Harrison that's going to be on uh, one side of the scrum, isn't it? Which is going to be yeah. an interesting... Um, uh, well, hopefully. Hopefully Sinclair versus Harrison, or as you say, Mike Colley. Um But I think Ross Harrison maybe can prove to Eddie Jones that he was foolish not to include him in his most recent squad. Um, so, um, um, yeah, I think that'll be... Uh, That'd be quite interesting. And then our fear for us in the second row. Um, 
Yeah, uh, and then back row. I think we've probably got the, the beef in the back row, but maybe... I think if Luke Wallace plays, actually, Ben Curry versus Luke Wallace might be a, an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is a big, great new story for, for rugby. He had an horrific injury in pre-season, dislocating and breaking his hip, yeah. um, which is just, I mean, it just even thinking about it just makes yeah. me feel ill. So he's done really, really well to get back before Christmas. And he's a proper open side. So that's going to be... Because he, he also has had big impact in previous seasons at the breakdown winning turnovers. We know with the change of rules, that makes it difficult. He's going to be a bit out of puff. Uh, Rob Shaw played at seven in the last game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Wallace comes uh, back in to start the game. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to say sort of my players to watch for the backs because there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a couple that I, that I'm really interested to see how they fare. Um, but the one for me, and I think he's criminally underrated, uh, even in Premiership circles, is, is James Holwell. I think the difference he, I mean, we, everyone talks about Rob Shaw and Marler and Sinclair and Kerr and, and the sort of litany of uh, of England stars that Quint have. But I think uh, that Harlequins team with Horwell in the side, you know, he was he was named captain. I mean, they've had about six captains in the last six seasons, a bit like Sale. But, you know, Horwell is captain now. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. they've been through Marler and Kerr and, uh, and Rob Shaw. Uh, but I think we're, we are at Horwell now. Yeah, but absolutely. I think the difference James Horwell makes on that team, um, you know, that, that sort of, we were talking, obviously, a few moments ago about uh, being tactically aware and, and sort of leading from the front, you know, when you're when you're five meters out or when you've got a big drive coming, you know, towards the end of the game, having a James Holwell in your team makes such a huge difference. He hasn't. He's actually had a sort of Nathan Hines effect on Harlequins because mm-hmm. obviously we used to know that Harlequins were very sort of freewheeling. They used to throw the chuck the ball around and you know perhaps struggle to grind out wins in the same way that some of the top teams do. Uh, but I think the impact of, of James Holwell on the team has has to bring that sort of gravitas in the second row and bring uh, that leadership. But obviously, you know, Holwell's only in his early 30s, so he can still sort of throw himself around in the air. And he's actually going to be watching Evans versus Holwell as the sort of two line-up captain. I believe Holwell's line-up captain. Watching those two the sort of primary jumpers in the line-up is going to be mm-hmm. fascinating because whoever can win that battle between the Australian, Australian and the New Zealander will have a huge impact on uh, on who ends up winning the game overall. I am of the, you know, it touches my opinion. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Horwell, when he was signed by Quinns, it was very understated, but actually I think he came in as the most expensive, uh, in terms of salary, uh, most expensive signing in, in the Premiership at the time. Um, and he started this big kind of, you know, loads of people from the Southern Hemisphere coming over in their prime. You know, he was captain of, of Australia when he came. He captained them in the Lions series and then left to come to Quinns um, and has missed the World Cup already um, and will still be of age, as it were, for the next World Cup and will probably miss that as well because um, he burned a lot of bridges on the way out. You know, since then they've had to kind of admit that, you know, that they're losing and bring in the cap rule. But when he left, there was no cap rule, he just went. Um, so a huge loss to Australian rugby, clearly a brilliant leader and physically very strong and, and, and abrasive. So that's going to be really interesting. Can't wait to see Luke Wallace play. I think that's great. In the backs, Charlie Walker's a really underrated name. Um, sort of, you know, usually if, if Quinn's wingers are scoring as much as he is, um, everyone will be shouting about England. So I'm, the, he must be unfashionable in some ways, um, you know, to, to play for Quinn's and not start getting that recognition. He's the sort of player that you'd expect to play for sale, really. Really good club side player that, that maybe, you know, isn't getting the recognition that he deserves. And he's scoring, you know, almost a try game in the Premiership at the moment. Um, and then obviously the, the battle at 12. Um, Jamie Roberts was absolutely immense against um, Saints at the weekend. It was his best game in the Quinns shirt, I thought, by some some considerable distance. I think he's struggled to fire for Quinns. I think they brought him in thinking he's one of the, the players in the backs that's going to change the way they play from a kind of, you know, throw it around, hope to outscore the opposition to actually we're going to get over the game line and all the rest of it. But I think his arrival has coincided with kind of a depowered Quinns side, especially in international periods. Um, and uh, he's found it difficult. Um, he spoke on rugby tonight about getting, you know, constantly double tackled. I think getting over the game line is becoming increasingly more difficult. All players are now getting bigger. We talked about the clerk throwing himself around. But Roberts versus Van Rensburg. I mean, if we get some one-on-one clashes there, um, then you know, the ground that, 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 Yeah, that could end up putting Doctor Roberts in hospital. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, that's that's going to be really, really interesting. The only thing I'd point out is, you know, clearly the influence of their England players, Rob Shaw, Marler, um, 
Premiership a few years ago. It's ageing. It isn't as, uh, as, as strong as it was. But their presence makes them a completely different side. If we were playing them in six weeks' time, I'd have us down as an easy win. But we're not. And they're coming off the back of scoring 50 points in the Premiership. Um, so I think it's going to be really, really tough. But win, um, and I think we'll actually finish the weekend in the top six, I think, for the first time this season. Uh, Bath are away at Worcester, um, and I think that you know Worcester can probably play with a bit more belief, knowing that the relegation is probably not going to happen now. I think that'll be a tough place for them to go, Bath, especially because you know they've, they've lost a few now. They've definitely mm-hmm. lost the last two, Bath. They've gone from kind of being second or third, and they're now fighting to stay in the top six. Um, we play Quinns obviously so can leapfrog frog them with a win um, and then finally Falcons host Exeter um, I know Falcons are a good side this year but I think anybody looking to get anything out of playing Exeter home or away is, is being a bit too optimistic <laughs> so um, I, th- I think we've got a good chance at finishing uh, the, the in sort of sixth position at the end of this, this weekend must win um, absolute must win mm-hmm. We've spoken a little bit about the forwards before, Alex. Um, are there any backs that you're particularly keen to sort of get an eye on, and, and uh, who, you, who you identify as sort of the danger, the de- danger men uh, in that in that Quinns team on uh, on Saturday? Yeah, Danny Kerr. Every day of the week for me, I think I, I just I fear what Danny Kerr can do to a game. You saw when I can't remember who they were playing when he put in like three kicks that were just on the money and just took the game away. From, was it Saris? Maybe. I mean, he's done it so many times. I'm thinking yeah. about that at the England Australia game a couple of uh, a couple of months oh, God, ago, yeah, where, yeah, where he sort of came on and, yeah. and all of a sudden the game changed, changed and he, he sort of well, he didn't yeah. win them the game, but he just sort of took it completely yeah. out of reach. But he he is he is the one I think who would if we lose, I can see it being down to Danny Kerr. Um, I think Brown's a solid fullback, but I don't think he particularly influences the result quite as much as as Kerr does. Um, so I'm I'm worried about that, but it'll be a good match up him versus De Klerk. I fear Kerr will have the edge. The only thing that's keeping me positive about it is that I don't think Quinns travel as well as they, um, as well as other teams in the league. Um, and I think at, at home, having you know put twenty six points on them away and shipped forty two, I don't think we'll ship forty two at home. So I'm hoping we can. Uh, Keep our defensive home record going, which I think has seen us concede a maximum of 10 points this season in the Premiership. I mean, don't ask me, you're the stats Yeah, man. Uh, I'll double check that. But, um, yeah, if we can, if, I mean, if we can limit Quinns to 10 points, we'll put more than 10 points on them easy. Whether whether we can do that is is a mystery. Yeah, t- talking about that game down at the Stupa in back in October, I believe it was. Um, yeah, I mean, the difference in sort of tactical now between De Klerk, uh, at least at the time, and, and Kerr was obvious. And like you said, one of the main reasons why Quinns were able to sort of stroll to quite a, quite an easy win in the end was because Kerr just completely bossed the game. Mm. For me, I mean, we've highlighted so many you know talented players, but I I am firmly of the opinion that Harlequins go as Marcus Smith goes. Um, you know, he's eight, 18, You know, which is just I mean, it just seems absurd. But obviously, you know, we are fans of the team that have the Curries. Um, but for me. He is obviously very talented. You know, there is sort of international potential there. But if Sale can rattle him, mm. and I think Sale have the team to rattle him in Ross and Strauss and Curry and McGinty and Van Rensburg, yeah. that is going to be huge because it's all well and good having all this firepower out on the wing, Charlie, Charlie Walker, Danny Kerr, etc. Um, you know, Tim Visser, who always seems to have a stormer against Sale. It's all well and good having all, the, all this firepower. But if you can take your 10 out of the game, uh, the opposition 10 out of the game, that's going to be absolutely huge. And I think that has to be a focal point in a way that we've not seen Sale target players properly this yeah. season. And again, we, we talk about perhaps the, the sort of gaps in the tactical game plan that Sale employ. I can't remember who it was now, and it's going to frustrate me, but Sale were playing someone a few months ago at home where the big the big weakness in the opposition was the 10. Because I think we should, it might have been Newcastle I actually. Newcastle, yeah. Where you had Joel Hodgson, who is a very talented player, but very sort of small, yeah. an ethereal, an obvious target. And what Sale should have done, as James was saying before, just throw Mark Jennings out in his channel every single time, in, in the same way that Sale would do with Van Rensburg against mm-hmm. Billy Burns on, uh, on Saturday at Kingstone. That is something Sale haven't done enough over the start of the season that they're starting to sort of evolve into now. But I think that's going to be really key because Smith, for all his talented years, is still only 18. His body is not matured in the way that, uh, that some of his uh, older compatriots have. 
And I think if you have the likes of Van Rensburg and John O'Ross and, and all these huge bulky ball carriers, you've got to throw them straight down that channel because that is going to be the key weakness in the line. And I think the other thing as well is you've got to target Danny Kerr and De Klerk's got to you know, bring some of his sort of newfound defensive energy and, and mm. stop Kerr in his tracks. But for me, I think if Marcus Smith can get into the, the flow of the game and sort of can start to pull the strings, Sale could be in trouble. But if Sale can throw McGinty, uh, especially I think he'll have a field day against Smith because we know obviously how, his, how McGinty likes to play. But if you can throw McGinty and Van Rensburg and all these other big ball carries down this Marcus Smith channel, it seems the most obvious way of getting over the game line and then being able to uh, being able to exploit that from there, and like you said, start to put the points on Quinns that that you know that will take us out of reach. I think that McGinty being called a big ball carrier, being sent down the ten channel, will uh, you'll absolutely love that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's relative. I think it, it, people, it, it, I think, it is it is relative though, isn't it? Because I think and like, yeah. well, I'm, I'm not look. I'm sure if Marcus Smith was here right now, he you know he's he, you know he'd, he'd be twice twice my sort of width, and like he's obviously not you know. A small person, you know, a small bloke, but relative to everyone else on the team, you know, he is the sort of the main, the sort of main weakness in that backline. And I think McGinty, you know, is is as everyone seems to say, is just tough as nails. And I think if you can just throw him any to, if you can employ him in the same way you did against Gloucester, where he sort of scored a try by being able to sort of you know break a tackle and get himself into a bit of space. And I think if you can do that. Uh, against Harlequins, against Marcus Smith. You know, you know McGinty likes to take the ball to the line. You know who he's going to be lined up against uh, on the Harlequin side. It just seems, the mo- for me, the most obvious channel which Sell can exploit. Because if you know McGinty loves to do these show and goes and hit the line himself, well, you want him hitting Marcus Smith rather than uh, you know Luke Wallace or Chris Robshaw or, or uh, anybody else. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, absolutely, that should be plan A. Um, and what we've done against some of these these other teams where plan A should have been sending people down the channel is we thought oh well they'll know that that's what we're trying to do so what we'll do is we'll play out the back and try and go around them and then we've ended up not trying to do something until halfway through the second half where it's too late to make mm. the difference so I hope that we do start a plan A we do send these big ball carriers down there and if that doesn't work you know look I mean Rob Shaw gets across Roberts comes across they, they, they've worked out how to, to look after Marcus Smith in defence and actually he's an underestimated defender he, he's starting to remind me of, of, of George Ford in the way he's defending but I think he will actually become a much bigger defender than George Ford over time his, his legs are, are really quite large for 18 um, so he's got plenty of power in them and actually he's quite difficult to bring down because he's got quick feet and he's got a low centre of gravity Defence, yeah, that is going to be more of a weakness. So, so yeah, I think we've we've done justice to to, to the preview of, of Quinns. Um, should we do predictions? Yes. Yeah, sure. So AJ McGinty to score five tries by just running straight at Marcus. <laughs> Marcus Smith. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's Lewis done. No, no, <laughs> come on. No, no, because no, no, because no, these predictions count now. These count now. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. God, right. So I've got to be I've got to be a bit more sensible with what I predict. But whilst I ever think, Alex, uh, Alex can go first. Uh, Twenty-eight, twelve to sale. Do you want to give any reasoning behind that? Or no, that's it. We're just okay. going to win. No, um, um, I think we will shut Quinns out defensively, and I think we'll build on the Bath performance. And um, I. I think this team's played together for long enough to put in a performance like that at home. I think if we can perform at King's home like we did, that bodes really well for our home games. Okay, James, so let's let's hear your prediction then. What do you... uh... So, I'm going to go for Sale 24, Quinns 16. Uh, So, quite similar. Um, I think... We are going to win, but I think think it will be a little bit tight. We know this is a must-win game for some of our top four ambitions at least. I mean, if we lose, then top four is definitely gone. I mean, just even talking about top four is just an absolute pleasure. Uh, I just want to put that in there. But I still think it's going to be reasonably close. Quinns will come with, with lots of confidence. I don't know what the weather's like. Does anybody know what that looks like? For... Oh, well, it, it, I look at it and then it changes by game day. So what are we on Saturday? Uh, at the moment, dry, but raining all week in Manchester. So, okay. What about you, Lewis? So I, I'm actually, uh, I'm going to be the optimist then because I, I think we're going to see a, a performance very similar to the Bath one and I think what will probably, fa- hopefully, you know, not a, uh, not as Jekyll and Hyde as the Bath one but I think Sale uh, come away with 32 points. I think Harlequins will probably score about 21 so I'm going to say 32-21 uh, but I am of the belief that Sale have enough tactical now, especially at home to run over or around Harlequins as needed and I agree with Alex that defensively we are 
a lot so much tighter at home uh, that Harlequins are going to find it really difficult to play against us. Um, I think it'd be very interesting to see you know who we actually have on the bench and whether or not we we employ those because um, I think that again that could be a bit in a way that it wasn't against Bath. I think Harlequins are going to be able to unload their bench and, and potentially change the game and change how they want to play. So it'd be interesting to see whether. Uh, we we sort of counter that with 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 a couple of extra options. I think a leaker uh, in a game like this, you know, could uh, could end up having a having a really big impact off the bench. Uh, so perhaps one like TJ Yuani as well, um, mm. who always seems to play quite well against Harlequins. I remember the uh, that that uh, gorgeous chip over the top to Denny Solomona for his <laughs> try yeah. uh, in, in um, away at the Stoop uh, uh, last year. Uh, but I think you know Yuani could be could be a, a good impact player. We know both teams are going to want to throw the ball around. There's going to be space, and and if Yuani does one thing well, is he's actually pretty good. Once uh, uh, you getting out of that first tackle and uh, you know making a few few yards, it is a shame that once he's uh, got got uh, once he's unopposed going to the try line, he somehow manages to still find contact. But <laughs> I still think um, I think you know, players like Alika and Yuani and potentially Cam Neal as well could have a really big game for sale. So I'm going to say lots of tries. Uh, lots of free frame will be 32-21 to sale. Okay, and uh, what about team selection then? So, I mean, I'll just put this out there. Is I think to improve our finishes on the bench, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of stick for this. I will have Solomona on my bench this week. I think mm. he's played a, a lot of rugby this season, um, and in fact, he's played a lot of rugby in the last two years, really, um, and. Uh, I think he, look, he looks like he needs a break, to be honest. I know there's one coming up around the corner, but Yardy's playing against his old his old club, and we know that Tim Visser is a massive problem. He just scores tries, especially against us. So I would get Yardy in the corner before the game, just getting really, really angry about how Quinn's treated him and how he hated it there and how he hates Tim Visser and pick him on the right wing. Yeah, yeah, really interesting on on Solomona. Actually, we were talking about getting our wingers more involved in the game, and and again against Gloucester, Solomona was pretty much a non-fat. He wasn't getting the ball in the midfield channels. He wasn't coming in uh, to try and get the ball in the same way that we've seen uh, McGuigan and and Yard do uh, when uh, when Yard started uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I think I think you're right. I think your Solomona does look tired because I think if you're fully fit and raring to go and dying to get hold of the ball, you will come come in off your wing and, and run that sort of loop and get the ball. Uh, and sort of um, you know off off the shoulder of the of the ten and really try and make something happen on your own. Solomon isn't doing that, and I don't know whether that's a game plan thing. I don't think it is because we saw Yard uh, and McGuigan do some you know things similar. I think Solomon is tired. So you know what, James, I'm actually with you on this. I think it'd be really interesting, and it would speak a lot about how much stronger Sale are in uh, are in terms of team depth that we could actually bench Solomon, and no one would would really sort of uh, you know raise, raise hell. I think as well. If you look at the defence against Gloucester, there's a couple of times where the O'Connor Solomona defensive sort of uh, axes, if you will call it that, um, got completely pulled apart. And Quinns are a good enough attack inside to do the same thing. So I would agree for that. Just pure, I mean, I, I agree that it needs a rest, but from a defensive point of view alone, I think it justifies dropping Solomona and putting Yard in there. And, you know, for the hype it'll create and, you know, a bit of a. A bit of a grudge match. Um, I think that'll be that'll be interesting. I wouldn't change a lot else. I don't think um, I'd still consider bringing not on for Ostrakov, but I appear to be fighting a losing battle with that one, so I won't even try it. Um, and yeah, I think Neil's off the bench would be a good impact, but maybe try and use him a bit earlier. I'm not sure Josh Strauss had the best game in the world last weekend, but we don't really have another number eight, yeah, so yeah. it's one of those where it's a difficult one to um, to to argue the case for anyone else yeah uh, so two more things from me uh, you talk about finishers obviously uh, having Solomon coming off the bench mm-hmm. with 20 minutes to go we saw what he can do you know when he has when he is getting the ball I remember that try he scored against Bath where he just did it all himself you know that would be the perfect thing to have coming off the bench with look the game stretched look at what he did against Argentina for, for England as well came yeah. off the bench and just a tired defence is not one that wants to face Denny absolutely and uh, you know I'm, I'm finally ready to concede you know like, let's have Will Giftron start a tight head for the rest of the season you know he didn't put a foot wrong again against uh, against Gloucester um, still a couple of issues about the scrum but I think that's a, in terms of the sort of weight of the sale pack as a whole uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer calling for Taurus to start I think that let's 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 keep Will John starting at tight head because like you said James he's getting better every week yeah yeah. I mean he's got to be our most improved player by considerable distance and to step up from the championship and do what he's done by you know let's say mid-November I think he really we all started going oh hang on a minute he's still, he keeps getting picked but actually he's starting to perform now as well 
Um, I think that's a remarkable achievement. So I'm excited about what he can do um, in the future. Yeah, great. We're all in agreement. What a nice, great. what a, a nice way. starts 2018. Eh? Yeah, long may it continue. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, so thank you, uh, loyal listeners, for joining us for another year of the Shark Tank podcast. Uh, you contracted in now until, until yeah, December. Yeah. We've signed you on the three-year deal, so unfortunately no going back to South Africa. Um, but yeah, I want to say a big thank you to everyone. Uh, everyone who said such positive things about our Byron McGuigan interview, we were really, uh, really pleased with how that went down. Uh, thank you for everyone who came, who wished us a Merry Christmas as well. That was uh, that was very uh, very mm. thoughtful. And thank you for sticking with us. You know, we're, we're almost hitting uh, half a year, nearly. I think we're only a couple of weeks away from doing six months now. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, great, great that everyone decided to stick with us uh, as the calendar rolls over to 2018. So, James, any uh, any final thoughts from you? No, not for me. <laughs> it makes a change. Feeding <laughs> to it, Alex. Um, let's hope for a win against Quinns. That's all. And once again, uh, we well, two of us will be probably in the Sharky for a little bit before the game. Me and Alex will be there. So if you didn't uh, didn't quite make it last time, come and say hi. But uh, we'll uh, failing that. We'll speak to you guys next week.